Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. And today we're talking about Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying. And... Some of our regular listeners are going to realize that this episode is coming very quickly on the heels of our discussion of episode four, Forget Me Not. And the reason is, is because we are in the autumn of 2021 and we are trying to mesh uh, our season three podcast episodes with the beginning of Star Trek Discovery season four, which is coming up in November. I think the 18th, isn't that right? Yes. Okay, so we are going to try to make sure that we finish talking about season three's episodes in time to slide right into the beginning of season four smoothly and seamlessly yes (laughs) hopefully (laughs) but today we're going to talk about die trying and i gotta tell you i was a little confused by this title in watching the episode and looking for where the connections were with what happened in the episode and the, t- and the title. And I, I didn't really get it. Did, what did I miss? I don't think you missed anything. If somebody said the title of the episode is Die Trying, this is not the episode that I would think. As you know, I don't yeah. remember names of episodes, but if somebody were to tell me Die Trying, this is not what I would come up with. The only connection, and it's kind of a stretch, would be the family on the ship. Yeah. And that's and, a stretch. And I think it's a stretch, too. And I, uh, Die Trying, to me, sounds like an episode full of space battles. Now, you know how much I love space battles. Yes. So, you know, I'd be looking for them because I have a bias towards space battles. But still, that's what I would have thought. It would be something involving, you know, the ultimate sacrifice to try to save the ultimate good. Right. I mean, this was a great episode. I thought it was a really good episode. I just was, like, not making the connection with the title. No. So this is where I'm going to say, if any of our listeners can, like, totally clue in and say, oh, yeah, this is totally why this episode's called this, please give us some feedback and let us know. Shoot us a note and say, oh, yeah, this is why, you know, this episode was called Die Trying. Here's the connections. I would love to hear other people's thoughts on that. Yes. So we start this episode with a log entry from Saru. And we've been seeing that a lot lately. We did have a last time on Star Trek Discovery before this one. And then we also had the log entry to reorient us as well. And we, so we have Saru and they are poised to enter Federation and Starfleet headquarters, which is apparently in the middle of empty space. Yes. <laughs> but everybody's really excited. And so as a viewer, I got excited too. And I've seen it, so I know it was going to happen. But I'm still, everybody's really excited. So they're prepping us for something exciting. And they tell us that, essentially, Federation Starfleet Headquarters is hidden. It's to mass the location, to protect them. And so they're just going to fly forward into this apparent nothingness. And it's kind of exciting. And so they do. And i got to tell you, loved the graphics. The special effects here are so cool. Yeah, they are. So they fly in, and all of a sudden, they are inside uh, holographically concealed, I think it was, or some kind of distortionally secured environment where there's this huge amount of stuff inside that you couldn't see outside. 
in space. Lots of ships, a space station, a flying rainforest. Maybe we should name the episode a flying rainforest because that's kind of funny too. And they also spot a USS Voyager J. Yes. Which was cool. And also the USS Nog. Did they? Oh, gosh, I missed that. Yeah, you absolutely had to be looking for it. It showed up. It showed up right after they spotted Voyager and Tilly said something about how many generations. And the next ship you see says USS Nog. I get a little choked up. So, and had he passed away when this Absolutely, year? Absolutely. November of 2020. Had he passed away by then? Yeah, he passed away September 2019. <sighs> and I remember when he passed away ever. because I watched his podcast, The Seventh Rule. Yeah. So you have to imagine they had to be shooting this around that time, I would imagine. That is a wonderful tribute. I'm so glad you spotted that. Thank you. Well, you really had to be looking for it. And coincidentally, in my rewatch of Voyager... Yesterday, the episode with Aaron Eisenberg came up, so that was kind of a coincidence for me. When did he come up? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Initiation. Initiation, yeah. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, that is a nice little for coming together of those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great spot. Thank you. I'm going to look for that again. Yeah, you really have to look. So the infectious happiness of the crew, it was really cool and really fun to see. Um, Everybody was very excited about seeing Starfleet and Federation headquarters finally after all this time. And the headquarters essentially takes control of the ship and is going to dock it, you know, remotely. And they ask for Saru and Burnham and Tall to beam over. And this is where they meet Admiral Charles Vance, who is played by Odette Fair, who um, many people recognized from Charmed. Yes. And from The Mummy. Have we seen him from anywhere, anywhere else? I'm sure I have. He's very recognizable. But- yes, he is. And his lieutenant, Willa, security officer, who apparently has two moods, suspicious and unsuspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so um, they get a lot of, um, it's like a a subset of the reception on Earth. It's not the warm welcome home that they're expecting. It's like, really? We have no record of you. Are you sure you are who you say you are? As if, like, their computers trying to figure out how to remote dock this ship, haven't already recognized that it's a 900-year-old ship. Right. But then they add the whole, oh, well, Temple Accords, you actually committed a crime. (laughs) (laughs) By definition, a 900-year-old ship can't commit a crime that didn't exist on the books when it time-traveled. Exactly. So it was just a little, I don't know, it felt, again, the, the hostility felt a little contrived. It did. While I completely understand Vance's suspicions... I don't know why he would go directly to splitting the crew up. Yeah. I mean, any good leader has to take the mental and emotional health of their people into account. And I understand at times that's impossible to do. But in this case, after all they've been through, and again, I understand he's suspicious. Why did he first go to, we're going to split you up? I found it a bit abusive. I agree. And to be honest, if there was some suspicion about these folks not being who they say they were the last thing you want to do is break them apart and put them out on a whole bunch of starships right because if they are bad people then you've just planted a whole bunch of potential saboteurs all over your starfleet exactly that didn't make any sense at all it made more sense to say we're going to ground your crew and we're going to keep you here in federation headquarters and reassimilate you to our century where you can keep a really close eye on them under the auspices of just checking on their mental health. Exactly. That would have made much more sense. Yeah, this made no sense to me whatsoever. 
Yeah. Anyway, we do get a little bit of a hint that there's something going on when they refer to the Emerald Chain. And we learn that that is some kind of an Orion smuggling group headed by someone named Osira. Right. It's an Andorian Orion syndicate. Oh, right. Yeah. They're combined with Andorian. Right. Orion and Andorian vessels together uh, under the leadership of this Osira person. So we do thereby get... Like Earth, which thought it was under attack from when, the Federation feels like it's under attack from this Emerald Chain. So we get that from there. But that seems like breaking up and having all this hostility is an overreaction to that kind of threat. Exactly. But it's very interesting, you know, this ongoing theme of siege mentality that we see over and over again in this future Federation. Yes. We also have um, Admiral Vance talking to Adira. So apparently he knew Senatal. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of sweet that, you know, Senatal waited to be able to see snow yes. on Earth. Yes. And that's why he didn't return to Federation headquarters, which doesn't actually make sense. <laughs> <laughs> because the message was, if you want to connect with the Federation, find me on Earth. But if he was only there to see snow, then he was going to return to this hidden... Space well, station. Yeah, I don't know if he was only there to see snow. That that message was 12 years old or something. Yeah. So we don't know how long he waited on Earth before Maybe. he decided to wait for the last snow before he left. You know, I don't know. And then I didn't understand why he ordered her to get a full diagnostic. I know. That was weird, too. Yes. All of it was weird. Yeah, the whole thing was weird. Anyway, and then we get another layer where we see somebody reporting to the Admiral that some folks... Keeley refugees, they were called, mm-hmm. were sick, and they were their sick bay was overflowing, and they were doing triage in the corridors. And Burnham immediately says, "We can help," which I also thought was weird. Why? She didn't even have the lay of the land yet. <laughs> you know, it's just like there's so much information they didn't have to be able to say, "Oh, we can help." I'm not saying that the offered help was wrong. Yeah, but she's so always, fast. She's always been impulsive. I guess, yeah, you're right. She absolutely is. And, I think, and, you know, Suru even reprimands her for that in this episode. Yes. She's always impulsive. And I think maybe in her mind she thought this is the way they could prove themselves. Yeah. Even though she had no information and what would happen if they couldn't help, you know. Yeah. And you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. So, And then, of course, Saru, ever the diplomat, you know, does say that thing. We're, we're anxious to help the Federation. <laughs> you know, he's trying to say, yeah, okay, I know she's kind of like jumping the gun here, but it's only because we really want to be part of this family again. <laughs> right. Anyway, but Vance's like, nope, you guys have to be interviewed. And so the interview segment is hilarious. Oh my God, I loved it. It was so funny. So it's just a series of scenes with different crew members being debriefed and just all of them being themselves. So yes. we've got Non, who's like only going to give her name and her rank and her serial number right. <laughs> to, to the holographic debriefer. And finally just says, you know, whatever, throw me in the break hologram. <laughs> She's just not going to play. And we've got Tilly, who is like telling the whole story of her life in her wonderfully Tilly way. And then we've got Reno, who says, they found me on a planet, and, you know, first it was Burnham fell out of the sky, and then Captain Fike fell out of the sky. It was essentially raining Starfleet officers, which is the funniest line ever. (laughs) But I got to say, the holographic interview with Giorgio was phenomenal. Yes. Because 
there was so much going on there. It was very, very cool. Yeah, she knew exactly what she was doing. And yet she didn't because she's got two holographic debriefers, interviewers, and she shuts them down by blinking at them so fast she interferes with their harmonic rate. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but there's still a man in there. If he's actually a man. I'm not entirely sure he's a man. Well, you know, that guy creeped me out. I remember him specifically from this episode, and he creeped me out. And I I think we do find out who he is at some point, but I didn't know what to make of him. Yeah, and, and neither did she, which was kind of the fun part. Right. After she caused the holograms to shut down, he sat down in front of her, and he says he's a, actually a big fan of the Terran Empire, and he'd studied it his whole life. And then he proceeded to emotionally manipulate her in a way that we've only seen coming from her. Mm -hmm. So it was like she had met her match on someone who understood how she thought and was able to handle it. Yes. It was really cool to the point where he actually kind of threw her for a loop. And when he told her that the Terran Empire dissolved... 500 years ago. Right. And it was gone. Right. It was a mirror to the Samir universe, mirror to the reaction that Burnham had in the first episode when Book told her the Federation was gone. The same kind of, how is that possible? Exactly. And really threw her for a loop, which was fascinating. So Burnham finally convinces the Admiral to let them help with the Keeley refugee illness problem because they figured out that... They ate contaminated food that gave them mutated proteins that are causing this illness. And the way that they can fix it is by getting a sample of uncontaminated food from the Federation seed vault that has been in existence for a thousand years. And the problem is, is the seed vault is like five months away, but they have a spore drive. So this is how they talk the Admiral into letting them go as a science vessel. And the Admiral apparently keeps Saru as a hostage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was so bizarre, but okay. So Burnham is commander of the ship when they send Lieutenant Suspicious, which results, I think, in another great line when she is going to activate the spore drive and she says to lieutenant will you may want to hold on to something um it's actually kind of impressive she's very confident in her ship and her crew and the spore drive and you can see that confidence i love when they do that to people because they've done that before where people were questioning their abilities or and i can't place where i don't know if it was season one or season two i think it was probably season one and they went to black alert and they jumped yeah and i just like the reactions of people who have never jumped before and don't really think this is real and aren't impressed. Like Willa, you know, she looked like she was going to lose her lunch. Which is, yeah, kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when somebody's that sarcastic and mean and suspicious, yeah, yes. And, and unfortunately, she was so two-dimensional. You know, this makes no sense. It's like she was part of the make-no-sense thing. Yeah. There are always layers to everything. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. I've already talked about it. Okay. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. 
And we're back. So they find um, the seed ship, which is called the Tikov, and it is actually in an ion storm. So they have to pull it out of the ion storm, which then leads to a very interesting interaction with Detmer and Owo, because Detmer is apparently still suffering from her PTSD. Well, sure. Um, it doesn't just go away. Well, you kind of were hoping from the last episode, based on her willingness to talk to Dr. Colber, that hopefully she was starting to get some treatments for this and was building up, you know, resilience. I don't know exactly what kind of treatment that she would need. So maybe I'm overestimating how long it would take or, you know, the intensity of what was needed. Right. And I think in reality, it takes a while. Yeah. Probably years. Uh, you know, I Probably don't know. years. Yeah. Yes. She struggles, but she does it. She she gets in there, um, even though the ship's getting thrown around a bit by some kind of energy discharges from the ion storm. She pulls, she grabs the ship with the tractor beam, and they are able to pull it out. And they learn and discuss that the various Federation worlds have taken turns taking care of the seed ship, and it's this time it's the Barzans turn and so non is actually very interested because of course she's from barzan and people may remember that um barzan was the planet that was selling access to what appeared to be a stable wormhole and this was in the um next generation episode the price where troy hooks up with this sleazy i don't know what she saw in him guy oh let's not talk about her (laughs) (laughs) who is part Betazoid and so uses his empathic powers to manipulate people so that he can win at the negotiating table. Right. I mean, the guy's just nasty all the way around. Though one of my favorite scenes ever in in Star Trek comes in that episode where he tries to manipulate Riker and Riker's not falling for it. It's right. a great scene. Yes. When Riker says, that's the first time I've ever seen you mis- make a mistake. It's a terrific scene. And that wormhole that was going to help the Barzans become more fiscally, financially sound, I guess, give them the opportunity to gain some resources for their planet. Turns out it's not a stable wormhole. Only the part in the Alpha Quadrant was stable and the exit aperture went different places and ended up dumping two Ferengi in the Delta Quadrant, which we later see in the Voyager episode. What's that one called? Is that False Prophets? Oh, yeah. I never made that connection. Yeah, so okay. the two Ferengi in that Voyager episode were the ones that dumped into the Delta Quadrant by the Barzan Wormhole. Okay, I never made that connection. That surprises me because you are an expert at connections. <laughs> yeah, but mine are kind of like ridiculous. So I, no, I guess when there's a real cool. connection, I miss it. <laughs> uh, you're very talented at that. Anyway, so we have the Barzan who are running the seed ship. So Non and Dr. Culber and uh, Michael Burnham beam over because they need Non to make a connection with the Barzan. They need Dr. Culber to make sure they have the right seed so that they can craft the cure using the right plants. Not entirely sure why Michael Burnham went over, except that she's main character. So yeah. <laughs> when they get there, the ship is covered with plants. And Non explains that the natural environment of her planet promotes plant growth and so she actually is able to go without her breathing apparatus whereas dr colber and michael burnham have to wear special breathing apparatus because the atmosphere is different for them and they get there and discover that this family of four mother father son daughter three of them are dead yeah and it's very sad very very sad so they try to find the dad and they do find him michael burnham tries to go into the seed vault and get the seeds but she can't because there's a 
a voice command that she can't do. They need the dad. And he's beside himself with grief. And he's been injured by what killed his family, which they're not entirely sure of yet. And so he's non-cooperative. And so they hand over all this data back to Discovery. And then we get to see this really cool scene. This is where Lieutenant Willa gets converted mm-hmm. from suspicious to non-suspicious. Yes. <laughs> because she watches Stamets and Tilly and Reno all use all this information that they have along with Culber and Burnham to figure out that there was a coronal mass ejection, which, by the way, is my favorite space catastrophe, natural space catastrophe. <laughs> okay. I, I always get excited when I see a coronal mass ejection in a story. <laughs> And for anyone who doesn't know, that's essentially, what does somebody call it? A sun burp? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's just, you know, where a nearby star shoots out a whole bunch of radiation. Our sun does it now and then, usually just messes with our communication. But the the radiation killed the family and injured the dad. And so once they figured that out, they were able to fix the dad by beating him. And then they have to spend some time helping him deal with the shock of losing his family so that he could give them the code so they could get the seeds and that all works but then they're going to take him back to discovery against his will he wants to stay with his family right even though they're dead but he's got them in stasis so it's not like weird or anything well, and he- so then non is like we have to respect his wishes we can't we can't just take him back against his wishes and michael burnham's like yeah but we can't leave him here by himself that's not cool either we have to take care of the sea vault. We, we can't let it be in the hands of somebody who they know is going to die too. That was the other thing they figured out. He was going to die as well. He, they couldn't solve the problem of the radiation poisoning that he had. So he was going to die in a short period of time too. To me, it was very confusing because Non said she wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. And so Michael Burnham let her stay. So what that meant was Non was essentially going to be there. She was going to keep this, take care of him until he died. And then she was going to be alone. Okay. So maybe I was a little confused here. Okay. I thought she opted to stay. He wanted his family to have a par- proper burial. I thought she opted to stay because they were going to take him to Discovery. Yes. No, she was going to stay with him. Oh, okay. That's what I got. That's what I thought. See, I she thought was she stay was, there with him. I thought they were going to take him to Discovery, and the only way he would let them take him to Discovery was because she opted to stay there and finish their mission. And she did say she was going to bring his family back to be buried in whatever tradition they You know what? I actually, maybe you're right. No. I misunderstood that. I don't know. That's the way I saw it. I thought he refused to go. He refused treatment. Huh. Okay. Well, regardless, whether (laughs) it's she stayed with him or she stayed alone, Non remained on the seed vault and she was going to take the family back to Barzan for um, a burial there. Right. For their services. So there was this very sweet, tearful goodbye between Vernon and Non and no one else said goodbye. I know, <laughs> and huh? They, and then they four jumped away. Right. And she watched them. Yeah. And, you know, I remember she, that she left, and I remembered, obviously, this episode, but I just didn't think it came this quickly. Yeah, it did. I thought so, it was later. I, but Burnham said, I hope I, our paths cross again. And I found myself hoping the same thing, because I liked that character. She was only on the ship to finish their portion of the mission before yeah. it's turned over to another species. So... My thoughts, and it might be just wishful thinking, was that when she's done with, you know, when it gets turned over to whatever species is taking it next, that she'll return to Starfleet. Yeah. I mean, she's still officially Starfleet, but... Exactly. And that could be wishful thinking on my part, but... I don't think so. I think it's... And then that's the nice thing, is that there are 
possibilities. Yeah. As Spock would say. Uh, so anyway, they are able to um, come up with a cure for the Keeley and then they are trusted and everybody's happy and it's all it looks really good. And there's this very interesting conversation where Saru talks to Admiral Vance about the Dark Ages and about an artist named Giotto, which I thought was a great conversation about the Dark Ages because it does actually, I thought that was a really good reflection of what was happening. This siege mentality was very much like the Dark Ages. Yes. The thing that I didn't like about this conversation was they said Giotto saw depth and everybody sees depth. Yeah. What Giotto did was be able to share it and convey it, which I think is an important distinction. He wasn't the only one who was seeing it. Right. He was able to share it so that everybody could connect with it. Anyway, for whatever that's worth. There was two other elements at the end of this episode, which are essentially our, our mysteries. Actually, three things that we needed to talk about the mysteries. First of all, at the beginning of the episode, Michael Burnham was hoping to get answers about her mom, mm-hmm. who she did not find in Terralisium. But then we didn't hear anything else in the rest of the episode about her inquiring after her mom. Right. Did we? Did I miss No, that? no, you didn't. Okay. The second thing was, is that the uh, family, uh, the Barzan family on the seed ship, when they first came onto the ship, they discovered a hologram of the family, essentially just a a happy family moment, where um, mom was singing a lullaby to one of the children. Yes. And it was the same piece of music that Adira had been playing on the cello at the end of the last episode. Yes. Burnham asked Lieutenant Willa about it, who apparently now was willing to answer questions, and... She said it was a piece of music that she'd known all her life, and Burnham thinks this is very strange that it's a piece of music that Senatal had heard, a piece of music that the Barzan had heard from, you know, five or six months of travel away, and a piece of music that um, Willa and the Federation and apparently a lot of other people had heard as well. So now we have this music thing that has to be solved. Right, and she seems to be the only one who thinks it's strange. (sighs) Yeah. So there we go. Not that she brought it up. People who think things are suspicious that are not suspicious, and people who think that things that are suspicious are not suspicious. Right, right. I mean, it's not like she brought it up to a bunch of people, but yeah, exactly. The person that is suspicious about everything thinks nothing of it. Right. Or at least in that moment. Perhaps she needed time to think about it. Yeah. So, And then the last little mystery we have is one of the last scenes is Burnham passing... Giorgio in a cor- in the corridor mm-hmm. and tries to talk to her and Giorgio's not responding to her and it takes like three times before Giorgio comes out of it and she's looking actually very disturbed yes so it kind of makes you wonder what else happened to her in that debrief was she just lost in thought at the trauma of the Terran Empire ending or did that creepy man do something to her? Well, that was what I thought when I first saw it, too. I was convinced there was something with those glasses. <laughs> no, but not the glasses. The thing on his chest that she said she wanted to destroy, he gave it to her. Oh, that's right, yeah. What if he? What if her touching it did something? Yeah. She picked it up with her hand. True. Which I thought when she did it, I was like, what are you doing? That's true. You know, this man's just giving it to you, you, you know, and then she crushed it with her boot heel, but she touched it. What, what if, like, little nanites got into her sister or something? <laughs> So anyway, so that's the other mystery that we have to solve now. You know, the mystery of the music, the mystery of the burn, the mystery of Michael's mom, and the mystery of what's going on with Giorgio. Yeah. There we go. Is there anything I missed? No, not in the episode. Just in other Star Trek news. By the time this publishes, 
September 30th will be passed, but TOS, Voyager, and Enterprise are leaving Netflix on the 30th of September. Oh, yes. Obviously, we knew that was going to happen eventually because of Paramount+. Plus. Yes. But I'm really not happy about this because Netflix I'm is sorry. Netflix is so user-friendly. I was so hoping that when they converted from CBS All Access to Paramount+, Plus, they would make it a little more user-friendly. You know, there's days when I say, oh, let me watch an episode of Star Trek, and I just turn it on. Yeah. It's a whole production to, to get in there. You know, it doesn't keep track of where you left off. If you yeah. left off in the middle of an episode, it doesn't tell you where you left off. you got to start all over again. Or you have to fast-forward it, and then it just stops. Or if you pause it too long, it just stops, and you can never watch the episode. It's not my Wi-Fi. It's the app. If you go to another episode, it plays. It's just the one that you paused, where I have to unplug my TV and, you know, like rebooting a computer. It's oh, just, that's a pain. I'll be so less apt to go and say, oh, let me watch an episode of Star Trek. Do you know which streaming service has an excellent interface? Disney Plus. It is so user-friendly. And they understand what their people are watching. And so they put great big boxes. You're interested in this? Click here. You're interested in this? And it's all by topic, not by, you know, not, oh, here, hunt through all of our stuff. (laughs) Maybe we have it alphabetically and maybe not. (laughs) Um, Disney Plus is terrific. And they do the same thing. You stopped in the middle of this. You want to keep watching? Yeah. And they've got other issues. You know, Disney right now, I don't know if you heard about what the Disney is doing. And I think they may be resolving this problem, but about what Disney has been doing to authors. No. You know, they've been buying everything. Yeah. Like they've been what I call like amoeba-ing. They just grab it, you know, and it's gone. They've been buying everything. And they bought Lucasfilm, which means that they bought the rights to a whole bunch of Star Trek-based licensed. So they were legitimate Star Trek-based novels. Okay. And that they then got the rights to these novels. And they've been pocketing the cash and not paying royalties. Oh, really? Yes. And so they're actually being sued by the Science Fiction Writers of America, amongst other people, you know, on behalf of members, who they said, oh, well, we, you know, agreed to take on the ownership of the books, not to pay the royalties. Well, then who's going to pay the royalties? Right, right. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm... while their interface is really good, somebody in legal is not thinking. Yeah. Because that's not going to, that's never going to fly anywhere. Yeah. Anyway, okay, enough of the wander. We just meandered quite a bit. It happens. (laughs) It does. It does happen. So anyway, any other thoughts on this episode? No, I did like the episode. I was a little anxious at the beginning because, you know, of all of Vance and everything he wanted to do. Obviously, I knew, even the first time I watched it, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I mean, how could it? But it's still something to give you anxiety over. But yeah, I did like it. I was sorry to lose Nan. But I was glad they were able to prove themselves to the Federation. And my favorite part were the, the interviews. Yeah. That was my so favorite awesome. part. And it, the funny thing is, that is they were all hilarious, but they were really just talking like they talk. Them being themselves. Right. They weren't trying yeah. to be funny. They weren't trying to be sarcastic. They weren't trying to be um, difficult, except for Nan, but that's what she is. I agree. I, and, you know, i got to say, that's something that we, in this season... When Discovery wants to be funny, they are funny. Yes. Because this is not the first time we've had some really wonderfully hilarious opportunities. Like in the first episode where they put her on the drugs and... Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) She was great. (laughs) Yeah, that was my favorite part, watching that. Yeah. So anyway, so it was good. Okay, well, if that's um, all we have to say about Die Trying, then we can go ahead and invite people to join us. In the next podcast, where we're going to talk about Discoveries, Season 3, Episode 6, 
scavenger. Okay. We'll see you then. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.